Hi, Forever Dog listeners. I'm Kelly Nugent. And I'm Lindsay Kasai. And we're the hosts of Teen Creeps, a podcast where we review YA pulp fiction by Christopher Pike, R.L. Stein, and others. And this Wednesday is our 100th episode. We read the long-awaited sequel to V.C. Andrews' My Sweet Audrina, White Fern. We wish we'd kept waiting. We talked about stupid little idiots. The ghostwriter's inability to evoke atmosphere. Fake wool babies. And the 2011 YouTube hit Smang It by Young Hummer and Flint Flossie. <laughs> so give this week's episode a listen. Right here on the Forever Dog Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell. Keep it creepy. Now, now on with your regularly scheduled podcast. Forever Dog. Hey, everybody. I'm coming up on 400 episodes, which is a lot. Uh, and I hope you will come celebrate with me. I'm doing a special live program uh, at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater to celebrate 400 episodes. Let me tell you this. When I did 300, I did a live show. And to this day, I still feel guilty that it was like 16 white guys and two women and one person of color. And that's not great. Uh, and this was a couple of years ago. So I'm trying to correct that with number 400, or at least apologize for it. But we have an amazing lineup for this 400th episode, including, but not limited to, Monica Breen, who's doing the Buffy remake, reboot. It's a remake. It's an extension of the brand. She put out a great uh, tweet about it, which you should go look for. Um, Alexandra Cunningham, who's doing the Dirty John TV show based on the hit podcast. Uh, Carly Rae, who worked on Westworld and... Uh, Mindhunter, which is a great show, and she also was doing one of these Game of Thrones spinoff uh, for HBO, which who knows if that is happening. Um, who else? Angela Kang, who's the showrunner for The Walking Dead. Jenny Hutchison, who has been on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and she's doing the Welcome to Night Vale series, and more. This is a crazy—if you listen to the uh, episode with Chernold Edwards and— Christine Boylan, uh, both of them are going to be back because uh, that was such a great conversation. I wanted to talk more with them. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be at the Dynasty Typewriter Theater on Sunday, the 26th of August. We're doing a double feature. We're doing my 400th episode at 6 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., uh, my friend Matt Gorley is doing a live I Was There Too featuring some of the murder victims in Friday the 13th. Uh, as well as Paul Rust, uh, who is a big Friday the 13th fan. So that is on the 26th of August, Dynasty Typewriter Theater. Go to dynastytypewriter.com or follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker for details. Before today's episode, we have a conversation with Amber Benson, a longtime friend of mine. Amber, of course, you know as Tara from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the witch who was murdered. Spoiler. Um, she's also the author of a, so many novels. It's intimidating. Uh, the Ghosts of Albion series, the Calliope Reaper Jones series, as well as pertinent to our conversation, the Witches of Echo Park series. Uh, she co-directed a film that I wrote, that uh, Ben Acker and I wrote, which we wrote in seven days, and it shows. But she did an amazing job. Um, she's been in everything. She continues to act and to write and to direct uh, we talk about some of that stuff, but mostly we talk about witches. So please enjoy Amber Benson. Hello, I'm talking to Amber Benson on the phone. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Amber. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me about witches. 
Oh, it's a it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart. It is. So let's start with the you know the most obvious and earliest uh, place of witchcraft for you, which was <laughs> you played the character of Tara on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a couple seasons. Yeah. Um, I'm curious <laughs> to hear about like the how she was pitched to you. Do you remember this? Uh, what the audition was like or, or how she was pitched to you as a witch and as a girl? Um, you know, it's funny because I think initially, and I was telling somebody else about this recently and they were like, really? Uh, I think she was going to be like a dryad or a wood nymph or something. <laughs> really? Yeah. So her magic was going to come from that. And then, um, I think when I came in and met with them, Marty Noxon was like, she's not what we had envisioned, but we really like her. So we want to sort of change Tara to be more like Amber, I think a little bit. (laughs) So they moved away from the sort of sylph-like nymph of the woods and made her a little more of a robust, but shy uh, girl who's interested in Wicca. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. What was what was your relationship to witchy stuff, either tropes or even like pop culture witches before that? Like what what kind of stuff were you aware of and what did you bring to the character in that in that regard? Well, I've always been, for as long as I can remember, fascinated by the occult. So I I remember like digging into Starhawks the spiral dance when I was like fourteen or fifteen. Hold on. Um, what is that? It's sort of a seminal uh, uh, book of witchcraft. Oh, no. Um, and if I am not wrong, I think Starhawk is still a practicing Wiccan, even right now. Wow. Um, and uh, uh, I was super interested in, in that stuff. And I did a lot of reading and research. I was interested in religion and mythology. And the idea of magic and witchcraft played into that. So from a very early age, I was doing doing the research that was going to lead me into my future <laughs> career path maybe yeah for sure i mean i feel like <laughs> you probably carried that stuff into the portrayal um i think it's it's interesting too and i don't know what my question here is but i'll just throw it at you that sure. i think okay. <laughs> i think um willow and tara were sort of the first witches in tv or movies who we're not in a comedy, but we're not seen as villains. You know what I mean? I do. I think that is a, a very uh, important distinction that when we talk about witches, it's either silly, bell, book, and candle, mm-hmm. or um, bewitched, or it's it's dark, villainous, ward on the end of her nose, black, pointy hat, cackling as she rides her broomstick into the, you know, into the moon or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so to find uh, these women who were just normal women, and I think that is what Wicca kind kind of really is. It's about women's spirituality and connection to Gaia, the earth, mm-hmm. um, and to their own sexuality and fertility. And I think that's gotten sort of demonized because we live in a very patriarchal world. Mm-hmm. And the idea of women with power is frightening to, I think, a lot of men. Um, so they've been, they've been pushing the idea of like women who have power, well, they're bad or they're to be laughed at. 
Yeah. And of, and of course, you know, Buffy was so much about empowerment um, and to exactly. see it filtered through these women, uh, these witches who were not just magically powerful, but had uh, complicated personalities and, you know, were sexual people, I think mm-hmm. was really groundbreaking. I, I agree with you as much as it was, it was hard for us in the beginning because there was sort of like this, you can't touch each other. You know, we don't want two women being, you know, intimate with each other on screen. We're mm-hmm. scared of that. The censors are frightened uh, that it sort of, you know, became that by the end, we were allowed to be close to each other and be intimate and yeah. be in the bed together, which was really lovely. Well, and that was, I didn't realize there was so much pushback on that, although it totally makes sense for the time. Do you remember those conversations um, that I'm sure either Marty and the, the other writers had? Uh, were you part of those conversations? Were you hearing their side of it? We weren't part of the conversation per se, but we were aware of the conversations that were being had. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt kind of hypocritical, I think, to to a lot of people that, you know, Buffy and Spike could have sex on a you know, sarcophagus, you know, run around and be crazy like that. And Willow and Tara weren't allowed to like hold hands, you know, or they were allowed to hold hands, but not in a like sexy way, more of an, we're friends, two girls who like each other, (laughs) you know, it just felt hypocritical. But one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the art department, actually one of the prop guys was like, look, you know, it's not about who was, who was homosexual. He was like, you know, it's not about, two people making out with each other and being gratuitous. It's about two people who have a normal life together and showing that to middle America and letting them see that this is normal. Yeah. And that if somebody you're lucky, it doesn't matter what, what gender, how they identify as gendered. It does. Like if you find that person, you're lucky and we should celebrate that. Yeah. That's, that's, it's a great message. And again, it was so ahead of its time, unfortunately. Sadly. Um, I feel like progressing slightly. Uh, yes. So, only slightly. It's nice, <laughs> it's nice that it, it exists to sort of point at and go, look, that we, we were there at one point. <laughs> right. Um, and, the you know, as as I mentioned before, you haven't been able to get away from witches. Um, you have written this trilogy of novels, these witches of Echo Park. Do you want to just sort of give the soft pitch of those? Yeah, it's uh, it's about a young woman who is sent away as a teenager um, by her adopted aunt um, because her aunt is trying to give her the chance to have like a normal life before she's called to take over as head of the coven. And this girl doesn't lease is her name. She doesn't really know anything about magic or that, that witches exist. Her, her aunt has hidden it from her, her whole life. And so she comes back when her aunt gets sick and she has to sort of come uh, full circle from being a skeptic to, to embracing magic and fulfilling her position and her destiny as, as head of the coven of witches. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's I'm very sorry, dark. <laughs> it is very dark, <laughs> but that is, I, I love that you've been able to explore. <laughs> you've been able to get dark uh, in some of these novels <laughs> you've written, which uh, is really fun, especially for those of us who know you. Um, the thing it's I so want nice. to. <laughs> so nice. But... She seems so nice. Um, the thing I wanted to ask you about specifically in regards to Witches of Echo Park is sort of coming up with the rules of magic and the legacy of these witches and how you started to formulate that stuff. 
Um, I wanted to sort of live in reality as far as like the, the Wiccan world. Um, but I also wanted to like not, I wanted to create my own sort of mythology as well so that people weren't like, you're messing it up. I'm like, well, it's different. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just started putting together bits and pieces of what I had researched with, you know, my imagination mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and my coven is much smaller. Um, <laughs> it's not 13, which is, or, you know, um, and, and they're just th- the, the way magic works is a little different. I was really curious about this idea of, of, of is magic, you know, this, this like other sense almost, is it this power or is it wrapped up in our intuition and is it like a sixth sense Hmm. you know is it a coincidence that we we label it as magic when really it's just it's something we haven't discovered yet it's you know that what do they say about science right it's Mm -hmm. just all the stuff that we don't understand it's just science we haven't discovered yet um and i think maybe magic's a bit like that so this idea of, of having an empath who when they touch people they can feel what the other person is feeling and i think there are people out there that ought like are are that way and I think there's like this sense that they could, they pick up on, or, you know, maybe they don't quite understand it, but is that magic or is that just being human? I don't, so I wanted to play with that a little bit. That's really interesting. That's a, that's such a, a, a novel way, at least to me, to approach that thing. Did, did thinking of magic in that way as a sense, um, change the way that you think about spirituality? Um, I, Hmm, that's an interesting question. Uh, I can only say that I, I love the idea of of quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. <laughs> physics, that there's this little, there are these little tiny things that we can't see at all, but they are there and they behave oddly. But you cannot, you cannot use logic on them. Mm-hmm. And the fact that those, ex- you know, that 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 quantum world exists um, makes me think that there is more going on than we understand as humans. And so, yes, I think it does tap into a spirituality in a way. I I think a lot of scientists come back to a point where they're like, well, we kind of understand why this is the way it is, but we still don't really know how it started. Mm -hmm. So faith sort of does play a part. Um, and faith and spirituality are kind of entangled. Yeah, that's really neat. People should check out uh, this Witches of Echo Park series. Um, I make it sound smarter than it is. It's, not, it's a lot of fun and weird. So. <laughs> it is, but it, what's what's cool, I think, about those, and, and really everything you've written is these big ideas are sort of baked into, you know, the fun sort of genre stories. I think you're, you're really good at that. Um, that kind of look you're one of these frustrating people who is a great actor a great singer a great writer like it's annoying frankly oh i I feel like i'm i'm still learning how to do all of it well that's part of what makes you good i'm never satisfied i'm never happy i always find the fault and i'm always trying to make it better but the thing i love about it and i imagine that you're like this is a creative person it's a puzzle Mm -hmm. and it's very very enticing when you sit down and try and put all the pieces together yeah that's i love yeah i love thinking of it that way and i'm always happy when i hear another creative person think of it that way um amber two questions for you sure who are are some of your favorite pop culture witches oh gosh um hmm i think i I can't remember the character's name and i wouldn't say 
she's a witch really and truly but there was this book that i read when i was in elementary school called the witch of the witch of blackbird pond yes oh, <laughs> Do you remember a great that book yeah and i really i i very much i i love that book and i think that was one of the first instances of me becoming like aware that there was this other thing there was magic there was other things that exist and that that even if you didn't have magic per se that people could point at you and go you have magic and we're going to take you out like that was frightening mm -hmm. to me um <laughs> and then um you know i fell madly in love with diana Wynn jones she's a uh, uh or she, she's passed away now but she wrote children's literature back mm -hmm. when it was still called children's literature not <laughs> an adult um in middle grade um and she had a series of uh of books about uh, a character named christopher chant if i'm saying that right or crestomancy mm -hmm. um like witch witch or which, oh, sorry, yeah. which we, not which which, oh. which we, and, um, but which, which, which was good too. I don't think that was her. I think that was a different, okay. a different writer, but I, I read that too, but, uh, she had which week and, uh, uh, somehow I'm blanking on the names of all the books cause I'm getting old and forgetful, but yeah. Diana Wynn Jones created all of these awesome magical. Oh, she did Howl's Moving Castle. She wrote the book that that oh, okay. movie's based on. Oh, that's so true. She, she had lots of magic, so I, I really liked her witches. Nice. Well, people should check it out, and we'll we'll find a link for all that uh, stuff. And finally, what are you up to now? What do you want to tell people about? Oh my gosh, what am I up to now? Uh, I have I have uh, stepped into the world of true crime. Um, I'm not committing it. I'm just <laughs> writing about it. Um, I've been writing, uh, <laughs> I've written a couple of Lifetime movies. One was about Oscar Pistorius. Mm -hmm. And then another one uh, that'll be coming out later this year, beginning of next year, is, uh, is inspired by the Slender Man case. Oh, neat. So, oh, man. Speaking of getting dark. Out. Yeah, that was pretty messed up. Really wow. sad. Very, very sad. Oh, good. Well, we'll tell people to follow you on Twitter, right? You're on Twitter still. I'm on Twitter. I don't really deal with social media very much anymore it just got so aggressive i was like ah, it's, it's, i read enough in the news i don't need to see it on my feed <laughs> well then look around watch lifetime and find ads for when these movies when right. this movie That's comes right. out uh Amber, visiting them in their dreams <laughs> yes thanks so much for taking the time to chat it's good to talk to you always always <laughs> always good to talk to you <laughs> bye bye Uh, now is the time for you to call up your local comic book shop and pre-order the only thing I care about, my new Vertigo comic called Hex Wives. It's about witches, and it's about gender politics. Does that sound fun? Probably not, but it is. The artist is amazing. The colorist is amazing. The editors are unbelievable. Uh, I'm just hanging on for dear life and hoping that people buy this so I can tell dozens and dozens of stories in this world. So please... Call up your local comic book shop. If you don't know where it is, go to comicshoplocator.com, put in your zip code, and uh, order that comic, Hexwives. It comes out on Halloween. You just tell them you want it, they'll hold a copy for you, and then you go to the store and buy it. It's easy. It's like $4. And I think you're going to like it. I do. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker. Starting now. Oh, yeah. Hi, we're doing it. Yeah. Hello. Susanna Fogel, Hi. director and co-writer of The Spy Who Dumped Me. 
Hi. And David Iserson, the co-writer of the film. Hi, how are you? Thank you both for being here. Oh my God, thank you. Um, the movie's good. Phew. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that that you liked it. Although now you're in too deep. Yeah, like, now that's you have, true. You have to say, your your questions will bear out whether you actually thought that. Yeah, Fair we're, we're going to use it as a pull quote on the poster. <laughs> Here, the, movie's, the movie's good, in parentheses, surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the only reason I'm surprised. I know you're both capable. I mean, I've, I've seen, uh, Susanna, things you've directed and written and co-written, and David, the same. Like, you have a long history in television. Um, comedy in features is really hard. Really hard. It's. I feel like it so rarely goes right. Why would you even get into this? Um, <laughs> um, the money. I already. <laughs> I already love this podcast. Um, uh, why? Well, um, there were a couple reasons. One was one was frustration. Anger and revenge and bitterness. I guess that's four things. I think we need to take that apart. Okay, okay. Let's. We'll take it. We'll take it apart. Okay, take it apart. Okay. So Dave and I have cumulatively 30-some years of experience trying to get these beloved, small, character-driven, thoughtful dramedies with bittersweet endings mm-hmm. made. Um, they're not super makeable in today's marketplace. If you look at my IMDb page, none of my side. None, none exist. Um, well, you when you have primarily been in TV, yeah, we should say. Well, I've... But I've been I've been hustling yeah. in features the whole time. Okay, and we'll, um, well, we'll talk. Yeah, about we'll that. talk yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, we we came at this from a place of frustration because we both had professional heartbreaks at the same time, um, and and we were friends and we were in a habit of sitting across from each other. We're at, friends. We are friends. <laughs> we were at the time and remain friends. We'll see how all this press goes. Yeah, and by the end of this podcast, we'll see whether we still feel that way. So check sure. back with us later, Ben. But um. Yeah, so we we kind of were venting to each other and and talking about how we lamented that like the thing we came out here to do wasn't really possible. And meanwhile, we are like fans of this genre of much more commercial thing, hmm. um, the action movie. Uh, and and we kind of just started talking about how what we love is these little observational comedies, but can we f- marry that with our love as consumers? for these big tentpole type movies rather than see them as, oh, other people write those. Mm-hmm. Other people other people write those and have success. We like slave away over these other things that no one will ever know. And that's yet. really how it feels is you get yeah. to sneak these character moments and character comedy into this sort of big tentpole movie. We, yeah, we yeah. said we would take a big giant idea and then we would hide the <laughs> small movie interesting like like small little character moments hidden inside right. this 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 coating of commercials. So the broccoli movie. is the subversive <laughs> feminism and subtle friendship. And Judaism. So, and and the and the unabashed Northeast Judaism of the comedy style. And then the um yeah, and then the candy around the broccoli, although that's kind of now that I'm saying it a disgusting no, metaphor. It sound good. Uh, the spoonful mm, can- of sugar. The candy spoonful of sugar. Broccoli. <laughs> okay, the tempura flakes yeah, batter yeah, yeah, around the broccoli is the, the sweet glaze and the Brussels the sweet, sprouts. Uh-huh. Sure. The, the the glaze is um is the the fun, the action, which, the car chases, all of that. Which is also really well done. Oh, though. thank you. I thank mean, you. like that, and I was I was actually telling uh, producer Brett before you guys came in that like. I'm getting old. I find that stuff hard to watch or follow, and that is not the case for this Good. movie. Like all you mean, the spy you mean stuff. Like, you mean the spy stuff or like the action sequences? Both, actually. Okay. Like I'm so – like we've seen every spy trope, right? right? Right. And it seems like you really had fun with spy tropes. And we then did. the action sequences, 
Well, I'm just too old to follow them at this point, but they played so well and there are jokes in them, which is so great. Good. Yeah, that's something we tried to do. I mean, the action comedy hybrid genre is not one that produces many good movies, in my opinion, um, because the action's usually a little like arch or it's too broad because they're trying to like push the joke in the mm-hmm. action. It kind of sucks the stakes out of it. Um but then you have movies like Bond, which are not comedies, but there's a lot of wit in the action. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like allows you to like be a little bit dis- distanced from the like brutality yeah. and and able to like smile your way through the scene. And then you can laugh at the next scene if it's like a more comedic scene. So, yeah, it was like trying to find the humor in in that stuff. And we, we approached it. Yeah, we didn't want to shove a joke when it was a life or death situation into mm-hmm. it. But we definitely approached every action sequence, particularly the ones where um, – the girls are in it. Some there were some action sequences that were just spies beating up spies, but but the ones <laughs> the ones with um, with Morgan and Audrey with with Kate and Mila, we tried to approach it of what would we do in this sequence, and you know obviously first thing we would do is die, but provided we did not die, how would we deal with these situations yeah. with our skill set, which, you know, <laughs> is vast in other things, but not vast in right. beating people, killing people, driving really fast. And that's how we wanted to approach it. Yeah. Like if 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 it was necessary for us to be fearless and reckless, what would that look like? Something we've never been. Absolutely. And it, play, it plays so real. And I think that's part of the Good. fun of it. But I want to back up. Yeah. Yes. And back. if you can yeah. talk about the... Uh, the career heartbreaks that oh, sort of led to this. I thought you would never ask. <laughs> um, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Um, I'll happily go first. Go first. I'll set you up. Um, and then listeners can guess as to the source of the heartbreaks. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, right in. I, I have been incredibly lucky in my career. Like, I've consistently worked in different versions of things, I've been on a lot of staffs. Um, yeah, let t- me just, shows. just briefly Please. say, like, yes. Saturday Night Live, United Sing States it. of Terra, but also Mad Men, Mr. Robot, and then recently Graves. Like, these are wildly different things. Wildly different, yes. And Which is Dave great. contains a- multitudes. And, you know, and I had a lot of, like, ups and downs and great experiences and sh- stressful experiences on these shows, but ultimately, I was always contending with the fact that, like, I loved a lot of the things I was doing, but they were not – it was not my show. It mm. was not – it was not me, like, fighting at the weight that I wanted to fight if I'm going to use, like, just sort of a – like, a garbled sort of boxing metaphor. And, <laughs> um, like, I, I wasn't – I was holding back from, like, all the jokes I wanted to tell or the character moments I wanted to tell. Like, I was sort of desperate to tell the stories that I really, really wanted to tell. And um, so – Always, when I was on a st- on staffs of TV shows, I was always sort of exploring other things that I that I loved. I was writing scripts that came from very personal places. Um, I wrote a book, and and these movies that and these TV pilots would um, come to a certain place. Like sometimes I would sell them, sometimes I wouldn't. You know, I would they would they would kind of go along in the process, and then. Like so many things in the job that we do, it goes into some sort of room that you are not a part of, and then you get a phone call and say, mm, they're not they're not moving forward with it. And and if you really want to write something that you love, that's gonna hurt every single time that it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, And was that the case? Were these passion projects that you were I on? I I 
try sometimes to divorce myself of of like like putting my um, my love and my heart and whatever into it, but because I because I I'm trying to sort of steal myself. But like <laughs> I think that's what makes us writers is that we are incredibly thin skinned people and we and we're sensitive and we and 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 we kind of take every slight as like a like a giant knife in the heart and uh yeah i was writing my i was writing passion projects Mm -hmm. all the time i was certainly writing non-passion projects that also didn't get made but i was (laughs) but i but there are like a handful of things that i can think of in the you know quite a bit of years that i've been in los angeles that i love and i still love and that for Whatever reason, I I took as far as I could take it without waiting for somebody with mm-hmm. money or access to say, "All right, we're moving forward w- with it." And at the time when Susanna and my path merged, it was a particular uh, pilot that I really loved, um, that I still really love, and I, I really thought it was going to happen. And so I like I dared myself to like imagine it. Imagine six seasons of it and to start like, you know, thinking of casting and like I, I, I also draw. So I like I made a poster and I, I, I'd really done a, I'd really gone through a lot of motions of thinking of this as a real thing. And when, you know, that particular um, rug was pulled out, it felt like, oh, God, like as I, I, you know, I, I'm by no means complaining that like I haven't had a great career because I have. But like. But these things just it, it would just I would just get so close sure. and then and then and then we were we just happened to be working side by side on our own things, but we were like buddies who worked together on our on our own things when my heartbreak happened mm-hmm. and my latest heartbreak <laughs> professional heartbreak <laughs> happened. Which by the way, all of that extra thought and like artistry that you put into it, like the drawing and all of that, when you do start to put yourself forward as a director of your own work is going to be a big part of what gets gets the project to move forward. So it's it's like those skills are really good to practice with. But when you don't have that agency and you're like looking for someone else to attach themselves and all those ideas are yours and they're not totally in your job description, it's like terrible. Um, it feels like this terrible extra effort <laughs> right. that like what not only wasn't required, but like nobody even noticed it. No one cared. Yeah. Um, and then my my heartbreak was a um, – it was a project that uh, I had been working on a television show and decided to um, step down to consultant so that I could work on a book I was writing and also just try to get to, – to make another movie. It had been a few years since I had made my first feature, which was a small indie movie. Um, and these these have titles, by the way. Oh, the small the, indie movie was called Life Partners. Yes. Yeah. And was the TV show uh, Chasing, Chasing Life? Chasing Life, okay. yeah. Um, and Spy Who Dummy is your first non-life I know. produced. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Was it hard to break out of? The- it, 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 <laughs> was. Make it, a trilogy? it was. It was. Um, she kept pitching titles like Life Spies, yeah. and I was like, that, the, "What the is a Life, life Spy?" <laughs> the end of their life. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, it had been a few years. I mean, you had directed it had been some a couple TV, years. Yeah, I mean, it had been a couple future. years, and I had hoped that I think because it was just like a minute before. Everyone was like, women, 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 vaginas, we want women, lady writers, lady directors. Like before that, the movie came out. So it was like just a little bit early for mm-hmm. people to be – for it to catch on in a way um, with with all but the most obscure of like Netflix audiences. So I think it kind of came and went and then I wasn't really – I didn't feel like I had any traction as a director mm-hmm. per se. Um, 
And also those movies, it's not like a lot of movies that were the big studio comp of that movie, like Bridget Jones type movies were getting made even in the studio yeah. system. So it was like the step, the the leap from Life Partners to a movie like this. If we hadn't written it ourselves, I never would have gotten this job ever. Mm-hmm. Um, not a million years. So <laughs> anyway, if you write it. Uh, but but it was sort of like a a thing where I I was consulting. I I, I raked myself over the coals to get this job that was on a – a, an indie movie blacklist script from years before that that friends of mine had written and mm. it needed an update and they the company wanted to um they wanted to to have a filmmaker kind of rewrite and direct it and sort of I went down this road it was a similar kind of thing to what you'd expect me to have done next mm-hmm. it was a slightly bigger slightly more commercial but ultimately still indie comedy teen comedy um and I you know I worked on it for a couple of years got really close it was in prep and then it unraveled for for political reasons I can't get into here, um, and and basically suddenly this thing I'd worked on for two years that I didn't have ownership of because it wasn't my original script and I had at the time thought, okay, here's an opportunity to work at a fancy company mm-hmm. and if I get this movie made, it it feels objectively bigger than my last thing. It's a good next step. Yeah. Um, and you did, I'm sure, as as Dave did on this stuff that he was working on, just pour yourself into it because yeah, you have to. It wasn't – I didn't feel like it was a job for hire, but yeah. ultimately I did not have ownership of it, you know? So it was like – it was similar to the experience of being a, a screenwriter for hire on studio movies, which I had also done many, many unproduced times. I Many, 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 times many, times many, us, many yeah. times. Um, it just – it felt like that again. It had had some indie sort of juice to it and it did feel more possible and it got close. Um, but then when it fell apart, it just felt like and suddenly I didn't have any – I didn't have it anymore. It just didn't exist anymore. Um, and and so I I didn't ha- – I, I realized that my desire to make a second movie had been like set back in, – mm-hmm. in, in the course of one phone call, set back two years, you know. Which and was horrible. Yeah. As you're working on this work for hire, yeah, were you exploring your own thing? Were you writing your own material, or was this your whole life? No, this was. I mean, this was my whole life. I think, oh. as Dave was saying, it's like you to to be a good artist, you put your heart and soul into it so much, and then you have to like immediately divorce yourself emotionally, like to yeah. not care about the outcome, which is impossible. Like oh. that's not possible. Yeah, it's like w- when you get that phone call that says it's dead. It's it's different when a living thing is. You're like. It exists on my computer in a file in the exact same way it existed yesterday. Like there's, yeah. there's, there's, it is, it is completely the same thing. Like, and and the forces the idea it's dead is so is so bizarre and hard to wrap yeah. your hook your head into. And the forces that make it dead are entirely political and most often corporate and have absolutely nothing to do with the creative right. merit of it. Um, so I don't know. It was sort of like that happened, and I hadn't really been pursuing my own thing because. I I mean I, I wrote a book in that time, um, but in the in the film side of things, I just it got close enough that I was like, okay, now now is the time when I have to put all my eggs in this basket mm-hmm. because at a certain point you do have to do that, sure. um, and you don't want to ha- be distracted. But then that mono focusing can lead to yeah, you know. Yeah, which I, is why I, I always cheat on all my boyfriends. You know, you just don't want to be putting too much stock in one person. That's only healthy. Yeah, right. Totally, got to spread it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would always sort of reassure myself career wise, like if if I was sort of in a low point, that I have that there are, for lack of a more sparkling metaphor, like there are all these sort of irons in some fire. Some like yeah. there are all these things somewhere out in the world that for that if 
you know, if something happens, like I could get a phone call about this one thing at this moment at this time. Like it is, it is sort of this reassuring thing. And then I think when right before you and I started um, writing this, I was just sort of at a point where there was there was absolutely nothing active, absolutely no phone calls I was waiting on. <sighs> yeah. And you were in the same situation. You're sort of yeah. I was sort of suddenly nothing. having nothing. Um, so, what were the conversations that led to this being the thing? Well, well, it, yeah. T- to begin with, the conversations that led to us deciding to write anything together mm-hmm. was like, we're just gonna, we are gonna do something bold for us. We are gonna do something unexpected for us. I had never mm-hmm. written with a partner before. Um, you know, we'd both written studio movies, but. Partially, why you know when I've written studio project that didn't get made, there were like book adaptations, or there were something else in there that was like this is something that I wouldn't have done on my own because on my own I would be making these tiny like high concept, a little weird, but but you know like but but you know heart wrenching sort of things. But we we began by saying like okay, we're going to try to get out of our comfort zone, and we were going to try to like. To swing bigger than normal, mm-hmm. so the and every time, every time, every time, one of us, we, we were like, okay, we're not going to let each other make every moment melancholy, or like slightly melancholy, but like, right, you know, life affirming, but but bittersweet, <laughs> yes. you know, like maybe that's yeah. Well, let me interrupt for one sec, uh, I do because I do want to hear about this yeah. these conversations, but um, Susanna, you had written primarily with partners, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had and, written with um, a couple different people, but mostly with with a friend of mine. We'd, we'd spent 12 years writing together. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, and we had had a lot of, you know, it's like we had initial promise for a career that seemed like it was, well, actually, initially, we spent five years working as receptionists and temps <laughs> at hedge funds and sure. corporate offices of lingerie companies. Um, and in her case, uh, an, an olive oil store. Um, but, but yeah, once we were working we kind of had a lot of almosts like this mm-hmm. is going to change your life. Yeah. Oh, it didn't happen, but it, oh my god, can you imagine if it had happened, it would have changed your life. Right. You know, like that happened a handful of times um with it, with an HBO pilot that got produced but not picked up to series with a um a blacklist script that was greenlit twice with two different directors who dropped off two times. Then greenlit with me and a cast and then the company lost their money in the European financial crisis. Oh my gosh. You know, like Stuff like that happened That's a lot, insane. like for most of my life. Um, but so, that is like, I mean, you're. It's crazy to think about, but you're describing many a typical things. career. No, no, yeah, for yeah. Sure. in this business, yeah. which is so. It's what it's are we like doing? Impossible. And I think you know when we we made our indie movie at the same time that uh, our TV show kind of got legs, and hmm. she had always wanted to run a show and and be on a staff, and to her that was sort of the ultimate thing. So, and when I'd made my first movie, I kind of. I felt like, okay, I have to make a second movie. I can't be one of those people, especially not one of those women who never makes a second mm. movie. Um, and so the paths kind of naturally diverged, and she's yeah, a very successful TV writer sense. now. But but it's it was interesting because um, we had a process together that was a bit different. But, you know, Dave and I, um, we would sort of – when we started working together, we would sort of just sit there and try to make each other laugh, and someone would type it. Type it up. I mean, it was like sort of reminded me of the first things I ever wrote uh, mm-hmm. with friends in high school and even before That's that. Great. When you're like, let's just go up to my room and hang out and write stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just had kind of had a good time and didn't talk about it, didn't tell our agents, didn't ask permission to do it, didn't get dissuaded, which I'm sure we would have because it yeah. was so out of the box for us. 
Um, I think didn't ask permission is an important. I asked. Part of the I story. asked permission from my wife because I was like, I'm going to have to leave every morning for the next month at 9 a.m. and meet Suzanne at work. <laughs> but otherwise, didn't ask anyone. Did for you permission. guys? Did you keep that kind of schedule? We kept yeah. that wow. schedule. We met every, every morning, day at 8:30 or nine, nine, and we worked till like we had we we had a a lovely Korean lunch almost every day, and then um and then we worked till like four or five. Yeah. Wow, that's great. The, the the day was bookended by Dave having to take the dogs out. Yeah, the, or, dogs, no, the dogs had to pee. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we did that. I mean, and and because of that, I think we just, we had like nothing else to do and like nothing to lose because we were both so burnt out mm-hmm. that weirdly, like my mom's a psychologist and she always talks about how when you're at your most burnt out, you have the least sense of your own limitations. Like you push yourself the most because you are so burnt out, you just don't know to stop doing stuff because your judgment's off. Yeah. I think we were in that place. <laughs> um, yeah. And and because I had had this, I had this sort of like when you have a breakup and you go out and like get a makeover and get a personal trainer, like deal. I mean, not that I've, I've gotten a personal trainer <laughs> or a makeover, but <laughs> when you do that thing where you're like, now I have to get super hot. Now I have to do all this stuff. Right. Now I have to date everyone. I had the creative equivalent of that, which is like now I have to write something. I have to have a rebound. It has to be really mm-hmm. good. It has to be something I just like get out there and then I like right. wanted to leave the country for a while. Um, and, and it sounds like you wanted something that was fun to yeah. do and I wanted the to stakes like, were low for you. When, yeah. yeah life we, affirm, like well, reaffirm my commitment to even doing this job because I was like I right. cannot do this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back into like we'll, – we could talk about how the idea – Spark, but part of the early conversation. I'm happy to tell were, the real story of how it sparked. Oh, by yeah, the way. yeah, we will. Just but so part you know, of, part nice. of the early conversations Never were, been heard were, um, were like, where do we want to go that will be fun? Where do we like? We 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 really mm-hmm. mapped out a plan for if this movie is made, what would be the most enjoyable process? I which that. I think, which, which <laughs> we I do think, that too. <laughs> which, which I think is which when it came to fruition and when we like kind of the secreted it out, it it. it we got to actually experience the wish fulfillment of the movie. We actually, you know, the movie does does have a lot of this wish fulfillment of like we're going to these beautiful, yep. interesting places in Europe. And although we did only choose places for the most part that one of us had been to because we wanted to try to have like a spin on observations of these places that did not feel like Wikipedia, yeah. we still like try to pick these cities that we – wanted to hang out in and then when we actually got to do it and we actually got to be there um yeah i mean i'm jumping forward far mm-hmm. but we'll go back but like yeah it, there there were many many moments when like we would we would be blowing up a building or crashing a car or something like that and and um Susanna would like kind of tap me on the shoulder and was like remember when we sat in that in that in that uh, hotel lobby and we decided to write that movie <laughs> <laughs> i still say That's it like awesome. when we drove past a billboard or whatever i was like do you remember the time that we were really pissed and broke <laughs> and like broken and found like a lunch special that we would have every single day um and here we are oh yeah it was God. it was that um so what is what's the real story how did this what was the spark also, of this also one thing we're really excited about coming on here is talking about the the like pain, suffering, flexibility, heartbreak, and like many false starts of our career because the myth of the overnight success is like so toxic to people that are just trying to make peace with the fact that they have to like keep finding a well of creativity to draw from again yeah. and again when like, they're not given validation. So we just – we're like happy to like advertise our failures. <laughs> our struggle because it was – yeah. Sure. Our, our, Let's say struggle. And the years of, the years of it because it's – 
Yeah. I mean, like I remember there was an early article about Spy that referred to me as a relative newcomer to Hollywood and Dave texted me, relative to who, B. Arthur? <laughs> and that's <laughs> which how it I, feels, Which though, I immediately right? posted on my Facebook. I was like, I'm awesome. only posting this because I need to just announce that this is not the case. Right. Um, but that is, yeah. I mean, you. it takes, when I even first got into the business, everyone said it takes 10 years to be an overnight yeah. success. And yeah, it we, feels we, even longer We both now. came here in the early 2000s. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and. You it, know. Took, it took forever. And by the time I think we were like equipped or, or by the time we had I, – and I just speaking for both of us ha- – had agents, had the right access, yeah. the industry was like changing and there was a writer strike and it was like just as we got to that point. I mean I remember yep. quitting my hedge fund temp data entry job like in a blaze of glory because I'd gotten my first studio writing job and then – the strike happened and I had to go back to that temp job. Mm-hmm. Like after I was like, bye suckers, I had to go back and be like, okay, so there's a strike on. And <laughs> But listen, I would say by I'm gonna say bye suckers later, right. but like, but like for <laughs> put a pin in that. Put a pin in my bye suckers, but like that's only because there's a strike. Yeah, I, I also like the strike, yeah, I that was the closest I'd gotten to getting a movie made and and it was a book adaptation oh. and they let the rights lapse because they knew the strike was forthcoming. And and then it disappeared. And then, and then, yeah. when a different company bought that book, like they couldn't even use my script. It oh. was, it was, it was like I was like right on the edge of it. And it yeah. all fell let apart. me say this yeah. just by way of commiseration: Please. the very first thing that my partner and I sold uh, was a TV pilot. The deal closed the day before the strike oh, started. No. Oh no! Yeah. yeah, and it's like you you yeah. hit these, and that's a big example. Yeah. But you hit these things again and again. But right. I think part of succeeding in this business is staying in it. Yeah, and fl- and sort of changing your definition of what success will look like. If if not for the strike and if not for the industry changing and if not for movies going in this direction, which I have very mixed feelings about of like tent poles and Oscar movies. And that's like what gets to be in the theater. And that's kind of it. Um, It's I have mixed feelings about that. Had that shift not taken place, though, um, I would have probably stayed in my lane and tried to make, you know, Made the bigger budget version of Life Partners, yeah. made, made romantic comedies, made movies like The Proposal or Bridget Jones or whatever it is, which because I think I wouldn't have necessarily pushed pushed my way past political stuff and gender stuff mm-hmm. the way that I kind of felt I had to do. Um, and I wouldn't have been so annoyed and activated by the like lack of female movies out there to say like, why don't we have a muscular buddy comedy with women? This yeah. is like a lack of a thing. Well, was that the jumping off point? Was seeing that that empty space and saying we can fill that space? No, it okay. was it was it was it was the thing that made us know it was the right idea. Yeah, it, made, it was yeah, the okay. thing where when we when we came to that idea after a little bit of brainstorming and other details, I'll tell you about. We were like the real story. Goes. The real story. We were. Um, we were like, oh yeah, that's the one. Like we're like, that's a niche, that's a thing, that's a that's a there's a real need. We will get cast. We'll get. We just kind of then then we shifted into this confident place of just knowing that like there wasn't anything else like this out there, mm-hmm. and, and 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 that it feels right and it felt right. Yeah, yeah. kind of know and those that, things. Just that we were excited to go from our Korean. Oh, actually, that was pokey day. We had pokey instead of Korean. Food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we had lunch. We had, we had to we, mix it up. We had, we had the pokey. We had the pokey place and um, <laughs> on sunset where we came up with the idea. And then we and then uh, usually our, after lunch we like kind of if we're tired or burnt out or it's hard we like look for excuses to wrap up pretty quickly thereafter. But that day we were like, we got to start this now. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. We we have our characters. Um, it, um, uh, 
Audrey and Morgan drive past the pokey place where we first, <laughs> where she and, where Suzanne and I Coincidence, first Coincidence, we were just idea. shooting plates for the car, um, and <laughs> when we were scouting places, I was like, I'm sorry, guys, this is, we gotta shoot here. Like, <laughs> this is, awesome. we ha- they have to, they have to be on the run past this place. Where, um, <laughs> okay, real story. Okay, real yes. story. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll ease into it. Okay. You <laughs> can do it, can, don't into it. You can talk about the walks. I, yes. Should we tease it for another 25 minutes? Yeah, yeah. No. Um, it's right. not that. I, I don't want to over, overplay, overplay it. All right. So, um, yeah, we, we, we'd spent a week just thinking of the no bad ideas sort of situations that we could we, – like, We take walks. Walk. We, that's another good piece mm-hmm. of advice for writers. Walk. Walk and think. Uh, totally. Susanna loves walking around the Silver Lake Reservoir, so we did that a bunch. And, um, and we – came close to like finding a few ideas some which I loved a little more some she loved a little more but like none that kind of felt like the right thing one of which we still argue about whether it's a good idea or not right right ghost hookup it's called ghost um, hookup that's a great idea it's a great idea it's perfect it's I, the best I, idea well, then, then you guys why don't you guys partner up on that okay. <laughs> um, but um, so so uh, Susanna sent me um, an email um, one morning I woke up and I saw this email from Susanna and she forwarded me a New York Times story that has nothing to do with our movie but she's like this seems like a good idea but it's something my one of my ex-boyfriends would write and um, and so when we sat at Pokey okay we sat at Pokey what does that mean <laughs> it means that in my it means I've okay I've had a normal amount of boyfriends <laughs> Haven't had a lot of boyfriends. Have, Just a normal ha, amount, ha, everyone. Have lived in L.A. for 16 years. <laughs> yeah, um, she's, a, she's a woman. You got you to date a couple of writers. Yeah. Um, I'm and, sorry. and if you're, you got to date a couple of writers, some of them you know, some of them you know, Ben. Um, and <laughs> some, some of them, the universe. <laughs> <laughs> some of them will change the subject. Um, sort of like uh, really talented people, but people who wrote in that exact genre of thing that gets made. Gotcha. E- either on the Oscar side or on the tentpole side. Mm-hmm. So you've got... Just people that sort of like anything they write, they're 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 smart, they're talented, they're hardworking. Do I think they're all stratospherically more those things than us? No. So sure. why are they? We I'd go to the coffee bean, and you know, there's a coffee bean in in this is such a Hollywood conversation, but there's a coffee bean in Los Feliz where it is shared by both the apartment complexes <laughs> south of Hillher, south of Los Feliz Boulevard, and the mansions to the north. So I would see some of my ex boyfriends there, oh. and. They were coming down the hill from their mansions, <laughs> just just after a swim in their pools. Right, <laughs> and I was leaving my sweaty uh, apartment where you could choose to use electricity or the air conditioner. Oh dear gosh! Like you could either use the right. air conditioner or the, the refri- microwave. Tor- the refrigerator right. could run, or you, <laughs> or, you, or you will be cool. Or yeah, yeah, what you could be cool, or your food could be cool. Um, and I, you know, I would run into them all the time, and they'd be like, "Oh, how's it going?" I'm like, "Oh, great! It's going so great." Um, and anyway, so we had these jokes like, God, these guys are just like success, success after success. And um, I was happy for them. But I was also like, this is – am I just like beating – am I just like – am I just swimming against the stream all the time? And why? 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 Like I can either bang my head against the wall about the fact that the kinds of movies I thought I was coming out to L.A. to write aren't getting made. And like, oh, my God, the system is against me and I'm so mad about it. But also I'm running out of money really fast. Or kind of like be flexible and that flexibility, it's not like when we started writing this, we were forcing ourselves to write against tone or against Mm -hmm. what we wanted. We just found that our, our box was a lot bigger than we thought it was, Mm. um, which was great. And and you were open to that. So we we sat in the pokey place and I opened up the email she sent and I said, we should write a movie that is called, this is a movie my ex-boyfriend would write. (laughs) 
And I said, we can temporarily title it that. We are changing it before we send it out around Hollywood because I need to be taken seriously. Although after people listen to this podcast, I surely will not be. Um, but, By that time, the movie will be out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, it's a, now, it's a, now, it's a, now we can it. all laugh about it. Um, but yeah, so we did that. That's what the movie was called for the entirety That's of writing really it. Funny. So we're like, we're like, let, let us, let's, let's find the kind of characters that, that Susanna and I write, and mm-hmm. we will thrust them into the kind of movie that we would not normally write. Yeah, and we're like, oh, I don't know, what if we like, we're like, I don't know, what if you took the characters from Broad City and like dropped them into a Bourne movie? And even, and, and so that was kind of, we're like, that's the idea. Yeah. Even though it's it's neither Broad City nor Bourne no. per se, it was just characters that relatable, problems that banal, stakes that high. Well, and I will say, hearing you describe going to that coffee bean and your life going to that, like, this is where this Mila Kunis character comes from. This yeah. is yeah. why she rings so true. Yeah. Um, she feels like a, a real person, it seems, because she is. Yeah, yeah I the, mean, it very much, yeah. The characters are, I mean, even though I'm a, I'm a dude, uh, the characters are completely us. I mean, mixed with the actresses, mixed with a bunch of other things, but there's so many pieces from these characters that mm-hmm. are telling are our us. stories. Yeah. And like in the case of Mila's character, you know, there is the sort of trope of the insecure girl who doesn't have any confidence and one we didn't think that was interesting two when we were struggling we still had confidence slash arrogance even though we (laughs) had no reason to because we were working at demeaning jobs um and also our concerns were a little more specific to kind of an overachieving person like I don't want to do something if I'm not going to be really good at it. I don't want to do something hmm. if I'm just going to be okay at it, which is still an insecurity, but it's also yeah. it's also more specific than just I hate myself. You it's know? very subtle, though, and that was the thing I wanted to ask you guys about is is figuring out that arc. Yeah. And I wonder if there were conversations that you had with each other or later down the line about just how subtle and complicated that arc is. Because it's not well, I you. go from <laughs> nothing to something. Yeah. It's I go from something to, to something, something better. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's funny because a lot of the choices, like the choice to not have the girls fight with each other mm-hmm. in the movie, the choice to have Mila be – Mila's problem is a little bit harder to describe than just she's a shy wallflower and then she has confidence. Right. And Kate's not just a zany friend. She also has this sort of like m- – uh, mixed feelings about being performative. Like, is that her only value? Yeah. Like, she, she, she's. It is both her greatest, greatest um, point of pride, and also something that causes her to feel really alone. And like, I think these are those are all kind of like indie movie choices. Yeah. But we kind of got away with it because of the candied broccoli. Yeah. Um. Uh. Because it's like you don't even notice because there's too many like things exploding. Interesting. Which I. I think it's great because if people come for the explosions and the fun and the gloss and whatever, and then they see a movie where like women are supporting each other and it's not like just a cliche of a female character, like we got away with, I think, a more subtle arc than most big movies yeah. would have for because sure. there's other shit in there that, yeah. Yeah, that helps it go down easier. Yeah, I think so. Or, or like we just didn't really get notes about that. Really? Um, I mean, that's a whole other part of the conversation of how we tried to to position ourselves to not get noted to death. That's well, I, I did want to ask about that yeah. too because this is also the kind of movie that you could have handed to an agent they could have sold yeah. to someone else to direct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we um, we went into this, we had a very specific goal and that goal was to get this movie made. And, um, you know, just to veer off for a second, mm-hmm. like, I mean, sir, my revelation as a screenwriter, like going through this process is that, I think that we all are just we 
put too many um, we're we're too hard of ourselves at what we want a script to accomplish for us to consider it successful. And and I I see this with myself. I see it with so many people. Like you want the script to be good. You want to get a lot of attention for it. You want it to sell it. You want it to get made. You want it to get made well. You want to be involved in it. You want to have a great experience being involved in it. You want it to come out. You want people to like it. You want critics to like it. Um, You want it to make a lot of money and then you want to get awards. And (laughs) I've seen every step of if someone doesn't reach that one of those things and like, oh, fuck, this, this, what a waste of time. I failed. And, and, Boy, that's too much pressure on on for anyone to put on yourselves, and it's almost like an impossible target to hit. So for us, for me specifically, I don't know, I can't speak for Susanna, but for me, I just wanted this movie to get made, mm-hmm. and I wanted to do everything I possibly could just to get this movie made. Yeah, um, it was really well said, Dave. Yeah. Thank you. I've been practicing a- it. every time. Every time you started saying stuff, I was like, I want, I want that, I want that, I want that. I want, oh, oh wait, oh wait, that's not his point. His point is I shouldn't want all those things. Oh, copy that. I mean, happy, everything else is. Great, I know, right? no, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was this thing of, um, I, yeah. I mean, the we wrote the script, we had incubated it like ourselves, um, and not really like let other people into the process. And I think because we felt like we had, we were proud of it. We liked what it was. We we didn't have to like mediate it with other people's ideas. It was just us. And we we're like, we're like, this is good. We like this. Like, fuck yeah, yeah this is awesome. Um, then when we approached agents with it to sort of that first line of of help or defense or whatever it is, like the usual questions came up. Like, are you directing? Would you? Are, do you need to direct? What? Like, what if? Like the what ifs. Like, what right. if people say they'll do it but not with you? What if? What if? What if? And I think our attitude was just like, we'll cross that bridge. Like, don't like, don't put that out there because right. then people will be like, oh, great, let's do this much safer thing. Um, and so, or let's overdevelop it, or yeah, let's mm-hmm. let's take a minute, or let let's try to get the paycheck, whatever it was. And it was it was kind of I think because we were coming from a place of nothing um, that we just chose to continue to have nothing in exchange for having ownership as long as we possibly could have it. Um, It's not like we had a lot of offers to sell the script for a lot of money. And I'm glad that we didn't because I think it would have been really tempting to take Mm -hmm. those offers. But by then we loved the movie. So we were like, what if we just, what if we just like only hold out for the most advantageous thing? And then if we find we can't have that opportunity, then we can like regroup. Um, yeah, at that point, we had had um, Kate McKinnon attached to the movie, and Kate gave us this great gift in that she was only available that summer. That's that's her oh, break wow. in SNL. Yeah. So, you know, we we started shooting this movie in um, July, and we didn't really – we didn't even – studios didn't even really see it until February. And um, we yeah. went to them. We went to everyone and said, we have this script. We have Kate McKinnon. It has to be made in a few months. Hmm. Yeah, which I think for a number of reasons was tough. Like, I mean, Kate is such a beloved person, but this is a high-budget movie, and and it needs to be internationally viable as well. Hmm. And, you know, in non-English-speaking countries, it's unclear whether SNL is a big deal or not. So it's like she wasn't – you know, that, that that calculation of, like, who's a sort of, like – internationally viable movie star person and is that person available in Kate's very specific window. So it was very wow. like hard needle to thread with luckily Mila, who was also perfect for the part, being exactly the right person hmm. who also was free um, and didn't 
didn't require us to change anything about the character we had in mind. That's great. Which was great. I mean, yeah. it could have been like the r- absolute wrong actress was available and we're like, oh my right. God, what She do gets we- it made. She, yeah, gets, she gets it, it made, made, but we have to change, have to change yeah. the sort of DNA of yeah. the character. It happened really fast. I mean, we had, we had interest from several studios, some of them with caveats, like we can make it, but we can't make it this summer. What if we hmm. just buy it and then we, and so- you know, it's like, I'm glad that wasn't our only offer because that would have been really tempting. Sure. We had a place saying, we will make it this summer, but for half the budget. So it has to kind of be a totally different movie. Interesting. Um, Were we, you prepared for that? Did you have conversations about that? We're prepared for everything. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the thing is like... Let's try know, the thing. Let's try the blue sky thing. But like, yeah, we are we're, secretly prepared for yeah, everything. Yeah, we're like, you know, that is what our million years of ex- combined experience gives. Like, <laughs> I, I can, I can figure out Every right. note that I mean, I've gotten every version of note. <laughs> yeah, Anna's gotten every version of note. You yeah. know, we haven't been happy about every version of note, but I'm positive that if somebody said, if somebody said we can make it, but this is the crazy thing we need you to do, we would find we, a, a creative we complain way. about it. We complain right. about it for a few days, and then <laughs> sure. we would do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me. I want to uh, step back and just yeah. spend five minutes talking about the actual writing process. Yes. yes. Um, how did you two work together once you knew this was the idea? You um, talked about what kind of time you put in, but what did it actually look like? We took we took a bunch of walks mm-hmm. um, with notebooks where we we started just talking about what are scenes that we want to put in there. What are thing? What are all the ideas we think are funny. We had a million text chains in Google Docs and just spent like a few days just talking really broadly. Um, I have like a problem that all of my different writing partners and coworkers have had with me, which is that I get really granular. I'll get fixated on some really specific thing and want to solve that problem. And so somebody like and Dave. And I am not that. And Dave yeah. that. And Dave is like, can we just put it down on paper and we'll figure that out later? We right. don't need to figure out where the semicolon goes today. And I'm like, but if we don't know that, then how can we possibly? Anyway, we did that for a while. Then we outlined it together, just um, the most basic beat sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, with some dialogue, with some, yeah. With some and did you pieces. do that uh, on a whiteboard? Did you do it with cards? How'd you do it? No, we, we did it. We just, we did it in a text document. Okay. In the lobby of the Line Hotel in Koreatown. Yeah. On, um, yeah. It's a great lobby. It's a great lobby. <laughs> and, John, and John August Highland Software. So, the Highland oh, Software. Right. Sorry, I'm plugging a different podcast. He'll be glad podcast. to hear it. Um, well, you're plugging the software. <laughs> so, just the software. So you've got to develop some competing software. <laughs> you can do a crossover software promotion. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, we we wrote it. We we It was like starting with this really broad beat sheet um, that could fit in half a page. Like this happens, this happens. By the end of it, the girls mm. end up blah, blah, blah. And yeah. what, what was stuff from the beginning you knew you wanted in there, even from those walks that you were like, this is a great scene? We, um, very early on, I mean, we- Two we, friends. We had, a, we had a pretty good sense of who the two friends were. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we knew what Audrey's job was. We wanted to put her in Trader Joe's. And like, you know, we I, I, I have this like, um, I have this allergy to like fake movie careers that are boring <laughs> to write. Like, you know, like I, I, that, you know, you see screenwriters put people in offices and right. they clearly don't know how, how like companies work. Oh, <laughs> so, so, so I, you know, I wanted to put her I'm in I'm just the intern, and, you know, but I can't, I can't believe I got a feature article on like <laughs> Afghanistan that I get to write. Better not screw this up. Um, and, um, and you know we 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 knew that we would open it in this very muscular way. We we knew that we would mm-hmm. intercut with, you know this, 
Drew having this incredibly intense action sequence and we'd intercut it with Audrey and Morgan. At first it was Audrey at work, but eventually it became this birthday party. And um, Yeah, we were like, let's do the platonic ideal of like a, a movie about best friends that starts with a birthday party. Like let's let's write our version of Bridesmaids ha- and splice it with our version of a movie right. that one of my ex-boyfriends would write. <laughs> a James Bond. We knew, yeah. we, we knew the car chase incredibly early. The car chase is so good. Oh, thank you. Thank oh, you. We, we love, we well, love that was the kind of thing we were thinking of. We're like, what are some great, what are some undeniable actions? Like what are, yes. what are tropes of action and what would we do in that I'm, situation? Uh, yes. So like if we were in a car chase, like what do all of our like neurotic, like conservative, like driving – Right. Yeah. It's would, yeah. Anxieties. How how would that come to bear if we had to be like incredibly <laughs> bold and like high octane, so which is. And I'll say the other car chase in the movie got the biggest laugh in the theater that I saw it in. The the, the that or, preceded the that. priest one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, which I that, don't want to give away. Yeah. It's, don't, it's, in the, it's it's in the trailer, but it's um, that, yeah. It's uh, yes. I. I Susanna knows how to drive stick. I do not know how to drive <laughs> stick, and that that is where that came from. You're um, talking about that one, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, um, and then we knew. I mean, we knew what. Um, oh, and by the way, when people think that that's a super gendered, like anti-feminist joke, I'm like, but I'm the one who. But we're not. Right. We don't. Yeah, we're I'm, just dumb Americans. I'm the one. Right. I'm the one who tried to rent a car in Italy and was like, Ooh, oh, I no. don't know. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm gonna drive around Italy in a Fiat, <laughs> and I was like. All right, I can't do this. Do you have a Toyota Yaris? Yes, you have one. All right, so then I'm tooling around in Italy in my Toyota, my my automatic Sexy Toyota Yaris. Toyota Yaris. Right. Um, but yes, yeah. finding the your takes on those existing yeah. tropes. And was then, really and fun. then there were yeah. Without spoiling too much, there are two two scenes of older um, of older people that that are yeah. The, uh, Morgan's parents are very very close to me, and and um, and then Morgan's dad's oh friend is very is very. Uh, that Cl- close to Susanna's heart. So those were both characters we knew we would have there <laughs> yeah. very yeah. early on. We okay. were sort of like, what are the – because we obviously – it was like, what are our versions of Curb Your Enthusiasm-esque moments that would go – you know, there was a scene that we cut from the movie that's like the kind of the perfect example of what the movie was in concept and probably was in our original outline, which was that at one point when they have – you know – they have to figure out a tech thing. They take it to the Apple store mm-hmm. Yeah, they, in need, Prague. they go to the Genius yeah. Bar, yeah. They go to the Genius Bar and it's like the Czech geniuses and it crashes the mainframe of the whole thing. And that, <laughs> then that's how they track them. And we, we ended up cutting it. But um, like for a reason, it's like not worth building an Apple store to do a thing, to do a thing. But, <laughs> sure. but, but that like, does speak to That's sort the of thing. The it's like what would you do? Yeah. You would go to where the dumb idiots right. who don't know how to do computers go, the <laughs> Apple yeah. store. Um that's great. So yeah, it, it, stuff like that. Um, so that you sort of had these moments built in. Yeah. You knew who the characters were. Yeah, yeah. And, and it all came out really, really quickly. I mean, really, really quickly in a few weeks. And the, the whole script and then... And then let me just ask, the, yeah. the yeah. writing of the script, did you divide up screens? No, uh, we scenes? just sat you, there and... Because, oh, wow. you know, she had a partner for a while, but I never did. So there's, to me, there was no value in splitting up scenes other than like making it go quicker mm-hmm. so i wanted to take advantage of having another person whose taste i i sure. like and i think is funny and you so, come from writers rooms yeah, yeah. And i come from writers rooms we really we just we just went back and forth and we just talked it through and like sometimes like one of us would just like close our, their eyes and like i got something just give me a second give me <laughs> yeah. a second and then and that that's sort of how it went and it came to a certain point where we could very much internalize the characters voices and you know, and riff as them, riff as them, and we would always after we write a scene, we would read it aloud. We would we would both take characters and we'd read it aloud. And I think strangers, yeah, I mean, I mean, strangers 
saw all sorts of weird things that end <laughs> yeah. up in the movie, like just happening aloud in public. There's one thing about just, I think that I noticed about how we wrote together that is like, I think a really good way of approaching things um, that for whatever it's worth, what I think is, and this is like something I'm trying to get better at doing because of my like aforementioned problem with getting way too molecular about every single thing and much to the annoyance of everyone um, is that I'm not that annoyed. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, yeah. I'm fine. Um, so I think it, it's like start very global and broad, and then and and then you do another pass where you get a little more detailed, and then you do another pass where you put dialogue in. So it was like we had a log line. Then mm-hmm. the next pass is okay. Act one, broad strokes. It's this. Act two. Three sentences, it's that. Act three, three sentences. And then what are the scenes within each piece? So it's like if each thing is like a baby step, Mm -hmm. it just feels doable. And you can set like micro goals. Like today we're going to spend today figuring out all the scenes. What are all the scenes in act three? Just describe them in a sentence. And then by the end of combing through it over and over, then you get to the point where you have each scene written with the bad version of the dialogue and all you're doing is tweaking the dialogue and then you have a script. Like it's like – that's all it is. Right. Yeah. If you can take it apart like that, it's manageable. Way more manageable. Yeah. And then if you have a script, even if it is a script that is not yeah. the best version of what you could do, it is just so much easier, easier. to start working with that because there is something about the place where it is done that always just feels so far off. Mm-hmm. If you can just – and if you have something that is – that is has a beginning, middle, and end. That has a page number that feels it on like in it's line a full with thing. what you want. Yeah. Then, then you are you're going to just have much easier time. For and sure. We're just about to be like we've actually had to adjust our process now because we are split up a lot more, both mm-hmm. because of doing press for the movie, and I'm about to go off and do do a pilot, direct a pilot oh, that's for someone else. Um, so I'll I'll be gone for a bit, but we have this project we're doing, and we're like we just have to get a draft done, and then we can rewrite. Right. And f- send stuff back and forth, right. but we probably can't generate something quite as good if I'm like in New Zealand, you know, for two yeah. months. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Are you going to New Zealand for two months? Yes. That's awesome. I'm really excited about it. I mean, I'll be working a lot, so I won't have a chance to like do New Zealand. But still. still. Yeah. I'm like excited. the Sundays, maybe. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Hmm. Um, we do have to start to wrap up, um, but I'm, I want to talk just briefly about um, working with the actors and working the action sequences. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, it feels like working with the actors must have come very easily to you. It was – I love working with actors. Yeah. Um, I love being a benevolent dictator slash director. Um, I love the psychology of it. Um, I'm like the child of two of two shrinks. And I love assessing what each person needs to feel comfortable and creative mm-hmm. and confident. Um, what, how, what does that process look like for you? Well, it's kind of just like – getting a feel for for who people are like you would anyone it's mm-hmm. actually not too different from when we're analyzing a, a character we're going to create like mm-hmm. what is this person's weakness what is this person's insecurity so in the case of Kate and Mila who have great chemistry but are very different um and are legitimately friends who have a lot um of affection for each other but lead very different lives like what's the diff- what what is the different way that they communicate even mm-hmm. like what's their love language you know um and Kate's Kate's way of communicating and way of thinking is incredibly cerebral. She's very introverted. She's more of a listener than a talker. She's very sensitive and very serious, hmm. which is not what people would think. But no. she's, no, she's she she is. I mean, she's the sweetest, kindest person in the world. But she, you go to a restaurant with her, she just wants to hear about you. And I, yeah, yeah. she's a, she's like a very intellectual, introverted person, and and she's very 
she thinks about things on a thousand levels. Hmm. Um, and she thinks about the consequences and the political impact of everything she does. And it's really, it's, it's, she's all in her head about a lot of things. So, so for her, getting her comfortable was about like, a lot of conversations about like what is what is the meaning of comedy? What is funny about this joke versus this other kind of joke? What isn't what isn't feeling natural about this moment? And and approaching that from such an intel like you kind of have to talk yeah. in a very sort of like college you know it was like yeah. it, it it brought me back to like college yeah, where you're right. like okay let me like analyze this in an articulate way that's going to meet her like level of nuance of thinking about it which is like your brain has to be so much more switched on. Um, yeah, just to interject one yeah, second, yeah. like she taught me a great thing about character, which was incredibly, which I, well, I think writers listening it's will good advice, find yeah. really helpful. She said that she loves her characters to be able to be described with two words that contradict each other. Hmm. And so she put the challenge to me and between both of us to try to come up with it. And she came up with it. And, and she, uh, Confident Loser, was this character. But every character she's had in a movie, she's wanted to do that and I think that was an incredibly helpful way of thinking yeah. of the character. Right. Yeah. That's a great thing to use going forward for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for her it's it's sort of like talking to her on the cerebral level on which she wants to be engaging in the character. And for Mila it's sort of more instinctive and emotional. She's like, I don't buy this moment. I don't like this. Um she's a little bit less um it's not so much about dissecting it as mm -hmm. much as it is her just feeling present with it sure. and like it's she's connected to Nick. Yeah, connecting to she, it. She sure. is so experienced as an actor. Sure. I mean, she has been, you know, she's in her early 30s and she's been famous for 20 <laughs> so long. years. Yeah, so I would start, and, and it's like you have to constantly switch back and forth. So it's like I would get out of a discussion so with Kate about a thing, then I would try to use that same thing with Mila, and she's like, uh, uh, like fewer words, come on, like what do you mean, spit it out. And I was like, uh, uh, faster. She's like, great, I'll do it faster. You know, like way, I was way more up here than than she needed because yeah. she kind of could use the shorthand. So stuff like that, I mean, and each actor has their own thing. Um, and I think people want to, and then Justin Thoreau is also a writer, and he's incredibly respectful of directors. He will always put out ideas if you want them. He never needs his ideas to be a thing. But, mm -hmm. but like, letting him feel engaged in that process enough that it it maintains the architecture of what we wrote, but also allows for him to, like, he's a very talented writer, so what can he bring mm -hmm. without sort of dismantling the structure that we, we have? So. Yeah. All of that, but it's just different with each actor. And then, yeah, Sam Sam Hewen, which also was really helpful as a writer. Like he he wanted to he wanted everything to track and make sense. He he his job was he gave a lot of exposition, and yeah. so he um, he would want to know how everything fits together because he is explaining a thing, and if I can't explain it, <laughs> then he's not going to be able yeah. to explain yeah, it. Yeah, and as much as we were like, whatever, no one really. I mean, the plot has to hold up, but it. This is the first thing to get cut is these long monologues. Sure. So whatever, he he was like, "But why this?" And Dave and I are like, "Oh, uh, we'll explain it to you in a second. We have to go over here now." And then we're like, <laughs> "What does it mean? Did we mean? ever figure that out?" <laughs> oh no, it doesn't well, make sense. Right, there is that spy plot, right? right. The plotty yeah. plot that you have to deal, we yeah. have to deal with. And by um, the way, we we ended up simplifying that in post. Like we had yeah. a more complicated sort of web. Mm -hmm. um, and what we found when we were like testing the movie was that like. No one cared. No one yeah, cared. You don't need like if they, they would, these characters. they would flag, they would flag 
that the overage of information and the fact that there were inconsistencies much more than they were flagging not having more details about spy stuff. Do you think, I always wonder this uh, about that situation because I think we instinctively often know as writers that it's people are attaching to the characters, it's their story. Do you think you could have gotten the movie through though if you had simplified that plotty plot 100% not. Um, uh, This... We didn't get a lot of notes, but um, a notes that we would get constantly is we need to understand this. And I yeah. mean, I worked, uh, you know, I worked on Mr. Robot. I worked on complicated <laughs> shows where we had to plot many things. I had to make graphs and charts of who worked for who and who double crossed <laughs> who that I sent to the studio, um, and you know, and then had to make adjustments to those charts or whatever. Right. I mean, a lot of that stuff is is um, not in the movie or is played down in the movie. But if, you know, if anyone, you know, if anyone has like a real question of how like the, <laughs> the bad guy spy plot works after seeing this movie, I'm pretty sure I could probably explain it now at this yeah. point. And yeah. I would imagine having done that work makes the whole richer yeah. than it would yeah. be if you hadn't done And that you know part. what? Like I think that just, just going back to the idea of like the fact that we wrote a spec and then we were really – we, we just retained as much. When we started to get like little bits of encouragement, like Kate Kate's on board mm-hmm. and now we have this and we have Imagine and we have Ron Howard, whatever, um, you know, it when you get those little things, it kind of like it bolstered our confidence to be able to say no to these sort of half opportunities, like mm-hmm. the opportunity to option it to a studio who wasn't going to make it this summer but totally wanted to next summer. Like things that I think years before we would have been like, oh, my God, we sold the script. Great. Right. And just being like, no, 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 that doesn't sound quite right. Um, and I, you know, it's, and maybe it was a naivete that led us to demand that because we were coming at things from a place of low status and we kind of just decided to act really high status. Sure. But it worked out. I mean, we we had Lionsgate where they were great partners um, initially. That, you know, what they do is they buy scripts and then they figure out how and, and what right. way they're going to make them. And we we were like, no, we just want to give you the option and you, then you have to make it. And if you don't, then we're going to get it back. And they were like, okay. For, for, for a teeny tiny minuscule amount of money. Fra- like, fraction, mm-hmm. fraction of the amount that we would have made right. if we just sold it. So it was like, I think we just, we countered in a way that I think surprised them because we were like, no. We're we, like, we, no, we, we won't take that paycheck. We will take a teeny, teeny paycheck <laughs> yeah. that we're splitting in half yeah. so that we could retain <laughs> the rights in a yeah. few months. But it was the best, it was like the best decision i mean yeah. I, and it's you know if it hadn't worked out maybe i'd be looking back and saying it wasn't and only when things work out of it's course. like when you get married like what I, I mean i'm not married but it's like when people get married and they're like i always knew and i'm like okay but i've always known about things that ended really badly you all you know once it ends well but you always knew anyway we we felt like it would be better for us and it would yeah. work out um and it and it did so and now in that chicken and egg like now i think we will have that confidence the next time mm-hmm. but i would just encourage writers to to like try to keep ownership as long as they can well it sounds like you had something you believed in you had something you you knew worked yeah and you have to trust your gut on a lot of this stuff yeah Yeah. Uh, even when you're the one with no power right ironically you actually do have a lot of power yeah and the thing is i mean now you know as a director i'm sent a lot of scripts that other people write so i get to actually see i was Mm. never a person who liked to read a lot of scripts Mm -hmm. when i was writing scripts because i started to feel like i had no um breadth in my life and everything i did was about scripts um but 
but like I, I read a lot of scripts and like most of them are bad. And so I keep hearing this. Most How is of this the, possible? Most of them are bad and it's not a meritocracy and most of them are bad and most of the characters are really thin. Hmm. And so when I read something even kind of good, I get excited about it. And and people that know me are like, wait a day and see if in a day you're still excited because mm-hmm. I sort of get excited for a day and then I think about it and I'm not yeah. that excited. It's just <laughs> in comparison to the bad. But the point is like, if you have something really good, like that is powerful. And we're hungry for it. Yeah. It yeah. People really want it. Like actors and especially actresses. <laughs> um, like good comedy, something that everyone wants, but especially actresses, like there are more roles for them, but a lot of them are just like gender flip versions of bad guy movies. Sure. You know, like, oh, come play this like bionic woman who has no weaknesses <laughs> but gets to kick ass. Like women are kicking ass. Like watch this woman yeah. do stuff with no emotions or right. in her life. There's nothing to play. There's there. nothing to play. It's just kind of feminist but like it's only one tiny part of what we need the canon to be for women so if you have something that's at all a twist on an expected thing like that's power that's great and like do not empower a person that is like less creative and less intelligent than you and give them your like child just don't do it they'll kill it uh how did before we wrap up how did kate get on board um well there was a funny story that um uh well i mean she got on board we we knew that she was interested in um, in doing some sort of female driven action comedy, and she um, and her first movie appearance was in Susanna's in my first, first movie. movie. She had a she had a, a one scene in Life Partners, um, but um, and she and I worked on the same college sketch comedy musical. Different years, we didn't overlap. <laughs> right. We didn't overlap, but we. But she was a super. Kate was a su- is a super fan of the first. Kate remembered. Show. Kate remembered the year oh that I worked God. on it because she was a freshman and she like remembered one of the songs. Anyway, amazing. There was also that weird cultish <laughs> thing where we. It felt like we knew each other. Right. Um, yeah, and I like I I had like a really good friend who like a childhood friend who dated um, Kate. Like we all we 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 definitely like crossed paths without crossing paths. Mm-hmm. And when we eventually met her, like it was like it was like meeting an old friend. She really felt like a friend you've had since college. Just kind of on it, instantly feel like oh yeah that that person and, you know. And, right. and we um and so she wanted to meet before she committed to this to the script, and it turned out it was. A blizzard, a blizzard hit New York, and we knew it was coming. So, you know, so we 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 left a day early, and we trudged to. And you know, Kate is the least Hollywood, least fancy person in the world, so she wanted to go to like a very like, I mean, like a disgusting diner. Yeah, I was, I was just about to. We, I was just about to say the name of the diner, which I remember as you said, disgusting diner. So I'm so excited that I that didn't happen. It was um, at a. It was at a. Shithole diner. Yeah, and <laughs> we trudged this snow to get there, and 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 Kate came in this like like heavy parka that we she then also wore the next week in L.A. So like it, it was not nothing to do with the snow, and uh and and she you know and we sat down and we we ate and she was like great let's read the script, like read the script and she so we sat there in this diner in a blizzard and the diner was full and Kate McKinnon is I mean. You know, in person, she she's dressed down. She's right. she, but, cover, she covers as many square centimeters of herself up as she can because she really can't walk through the streets of New York but without she getting is, stopped. Is that but she's, right? But she's super. In New York, they're pretty good about. They're that They're pretty too. good about it. But she's, she gets stopped by the tourists. Sure. Most yeah, but she's oh, still sure. famous, and so we're we're in this we're we're in this oh diner, and and in in Susanna and I are reading the other roles, and we're reading, and she gets into it, and there there are moments when she when she screams, "I killed someone!" like <laughs> in a diner, yeah, and you know, and people are <laughs> taking pictures. That's I mean, it's, wild. It, it's but yeah. but we went through the entire script, and and for us who who this whole thing lived in our brain to right. hear it out loud, and I mean, she's 
a genius. And I haven't like I've I've been lucky enough that I've worked enough that like I can I've crossed paths with a few people who maybe I can call a genius, and she is one of them. Yeah. And mm. it was it it was so amazing. It was such an amazing experience. And then after that, she she, she did she, it. Yeah. She was on board. That's amazing. Yeah, we that's were, really neat. And then and then we we were then, having like a daily heart attack about whether or not we're like oh god did like. And as we trudge through the snow, we're like, if we trudge the snow and like she doesn't do it, we're gonna know it's us because we've made the sacrifice yeah. for her. It was just like before you know someone and they're just a famous person, you're like, right. it, they're such a, they're so intimidating. And then the minute you start working with them, they're like just your coworker. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, oh, that person's right. here. Like, and then, absolutely. And then yeah. the other fear was that like the whole movie really is built in the chemistry between these two people. Yeah. And Mila and Kate had never met. Yeah. So and their lives are different. Like Kate is Kate is devoted to SNL and Mila has two kids and right. like has has lived in LA and been in the spotlight for so long. And Kate like is allergic to the spotlight. So it's sort of like That's so, so, interesting. So, yeah. so they never met until like until the table reads. So we were like, let's let's have him go into a, a room, like like an hour early, and then like we're like, what do we do? What are, what are the icebreakers? So it's like I bought <laughs> I bought a bunch of board games. I, I was like, should we get them to do karaoke brought, together? Is that so contrived? I literally, oh I gosh. literally, I, I I love karaoke, and I I bought a machine for my wife, but for me, and I I so I like I secretly like had the karaoke machine like with me. I was like in case I was like I don't know, maybe we should do some icebreakers. Maybe we should do karaoke. Oh, I have a karaoke machine with me. <laughs> but like you know, they couldn't have been less interested in that. But like thankfully be sat in the room and I mean they're both the sweetest people in the world and they instantly along, kind yeah. of fell in oh, love awesome. as as friends and 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 then and then like elevated the movie beyond what we possibly could have and imagined. the differences between them like sometimes you see a movie where it feels like everyone kind of went to the same school mm-hmm. of comedy or you're like oh those people kind of have the same frequency yeah. um and then the greatest the greatest like buddy movies or odd couple movies are like Wow, these people are bringing something really different. They're a joy. It's a joy to watch yes. the sparks fly when, like, this person's coming from here and this person's coming from way over here. Yeah. And and Kate Mila had, I think, it, for being like two same age, like beautiful actresses, they're very different yeah. in their way. But they also have like they have, they're both down to earth, kind of like no bullshit, not into social media, kind of islands of groundedness mm-hmm. in Hollywood type girls but beyond that like yeah. there aren't a ton of similarities in their lifestyle so it was like diff- really different yeah. um, and the different approaches as you said yeah. different approaches and there was there and you know it's also like a great lesson a writing lesson like there's almost no um Mila line in the movie that we like joke we could have given to right. Kate and the other way around like that's great their jokes are their jokes yeah, you know? yeah. Which and is, there's also yeah. I think that was true and part of the pleasure of watching the movie is it's true across your whole cast which is Thank like you. they're all so different and their approaches to comedy are so different from like Jane Curtin and yeah. Paul Reiser and Fred Malamud who's so good in this. I love him yeah my my editor who I constantly mention this thing that that he said once which I think is a really good like th- way to think about comedy which is he he distinguished between micro humor and macro humor. That those are terms that he gave them, um, which basically is to say that you know micro humor is kind of it's punchlines, it's 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 lines that contain a joke. Mm-hmm. Like no matter who says it, there's a joke in mm-hmm. the line. It's like sitcoms are full of them. You know, yep. it's a quip, it's a thing, um, and it, it exists apart from the context of the, who's saying it. And macro humor is like a line that isn't funny in itself but but because it's so that person to say it it becomes funny so like every joke in clueless is just share being share like as (laughs) if is not a funny thing to say in the abstract you know 
So so anyway, John like John would always say, you know, and this is his sensibilities too. John is the editor. Oh, John mm-hmm. the editor, John Schwartz. Um, he would say, like, the micro humor is like it can it can be what sells your script or what pe- makes people know it's a funny script because it's not execution dependent, right. it's execution proof. But the macro humor is like the real gold. Absolutely. And we found that on the set, we cut a lot of the micro jokes because the girls would be really in character, like running away from some peril. And they're like, I'm not going to make a joke about Amanda Knox right right now. Like, even though we tried to make them make that stupid Amanda Knox joke so many times, (laughs) we put it in another script we We wrote afterwards to make someone else say say it. So I can't, I can't tell you right here. But like, yeah, it's for me, like I... Um, I'd written on a bunch of sitcoms and, you know, God bless them, but like shows like New Girl, um, you know, we wrote a ton of alt jokes for every joke and it, you know, and that was very much the tone of the show. But like, you know, every joke in a a New Girl script has 50 alternative jokes that the actors could do at any moment. And And, can serve up kind of in whatever way. And Mm -hmm. and in in that way, you don't get a moment of just a look or or, or something like that. And it leads my... favorite laugh and I, I tell Susanna this all the time my favorite laugh in our movie is um, if you see the movie it's it's after uh, the girls flee their apartment and they're just in the car quietly and they just for a moment there's their looks that they give each other of, of like, and their weird the twitching the and their weird yeah. stuff yeah <laughs> and body that's, language. that's a thing that we could not possibly script and, and I don't if we even, did yeah. script it people wouldn't be like what a funny script right. it's filled with these moments that seem that are, seem that are, like that are two characters just looking driving. at each other yeah. driving but like that those is, are macro it's that's mm-hmm. macro yeah. that's just earned earned yeah. character earned moments and there's so much of that in the movie uh people should go watch it as of this release uh the movie is in theaters yes uh, oh, it's okay. called the spy who dumped yes, me please congratulations watch. thank you, you thanks for what having us we love talking are you to watching you. on television these days what movies have you seen that you have loved did you watch movies for research for this uh film that you want to recommend we Anything. read scripts too we watched we movies we watched we watched a few movies i mean the the worst thing to me is that i i i have not been I have not been watching anything. It was like, you That's know, not a good answer. I'm, I'm, but I, I, I mean, I, I loved, I loved the Nanette special on, on Netflix, mm-hmm. Han, Hannah Gadsby's uh, comedy special. I thought that was the best thing that I've watched in a long time. Um, I've had a long, fl- a lot of long flights recently, <laughs> so I've watched some more things. Um, I recently watched Mosaic, the Soderbergh limited series, which That's I great. loved. Yeah, no one talks about. No that one either. talks about it that. Was I was great. really surprised. I was like, what? I just thought it was totally overlooked for yeah. what it deserved. But Sharon Stone was unbelievable. She was unbelievable, right? totally against type. Yeah. Um, and and completely nailed it. And like all of these just interesting character actors that yeah. you're not sick of seeing at the absolute top of their game. Like yeah. Frederick Weller, whatever. So I really loved that. Um I loved um, you know, I think Dave and I both really loved the end of the fucking world. Yeah, I mean that's Netflix. my that's my favorite thing the past year that I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think I think that it's amazing. Felt like a show just made for for like my enjoyment. <laughs> and also the male character is wearing almost the same shirt that Mila wears in our movie. <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, and uh yeah, so I, I love Mosaic. Um I I guilt guilt watch Riverdale. Um I'm a couple episodes behind, but I do love it. Um, I think it's really stylish for what it is. It really um, is. It really, really is. It's like noirish. Like I think it. I yeah. think yeah. And the actors are good in it. Like they're a pleasure to watch. Look, it's a it legit good feel show. Clunky. It's yeah. a good show. I mean, I, Let's yeah. not apologize. It's a, I'm not apologizing. Good show. Um, <laughs> Enjoy Queer Eye. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, our, our our premiere is tomorrow. So like my wife yesterday, she's like, "Do you want to watch The Quiet Place with me?" And the idea of watching something tense right now when I am <laughs> so full of tension. I, so after our movie comes out, I we really want to watch The Quiet Place. I also <laughs> love when a show that I love this year and i know season two is about to premiere um so it's like 
really late in the game for people to get into it. But the center on USA, mm-hmm. I thought was like really I heard good things. Expert, yeah. really good, it. really well done. So These those are, are my favorite things. And then um, the Mister Rogers doc was really good. I heard it's great. Loved and then it. a movie that I thought about a lot while we were making this movie is um, the Man Who Knew Too Much. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I, a lot I of like about the, that while watching a lot of the funnier Hitchcock movies. Yeah. You know that that like the North by Northwest and, and and but mostly Man Who Knew Too Much. Yeah. It was something that I I thought a lot about while while we were making. That's it. a great. Uh, first of all, it's a great double feature. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the Spy Who Dumped Me and the Man Who Knew Too Much, but it does have that sort of offhand comedy, right? These are just people you like in a terrible situation. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. enjoyable to watch. We love that. We're we're hoping to do more things like that. Um more 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 genre combos like that. Correct. Whether or not they're about uh 30-something women, you know. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Thank, thank you, you so much for being here. Oh, thank Thanks you, for ben. having us. Great talking to you. Great talk to you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.